You're listening to a podcast of Red Sea Church, a community of faith in Portland, Oregon, where our mission is to draw to Christ, develop in community, and deploy into culture. people. What up, everybody? Zeb Edelman told me that if I said that, everyone would laugh, but I guess it only works for him, so I guess you have to be Zeb. How are you guys? All right. What's that? Stellar? Man, that's, I like that, Stella. That's cool. I don't hear that very often. Uh, You guys ready to get into the Word? All right. Well, um, before we do, we're going to be in 2 Thessalonians. So if you have a Bible, love for you to open that up. 2 Thessalonians. um, Need help finding it? It comes right after 1 Thessalonians. So if that helps. Man, I'm just... Zeb, man, do you got anything else? (laughs) My stuff's not working, dude. Ah, there we go. Okay. Um, okay, Second Thessalonians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And um, as you have that, we are going to open with some prayer. So would you bow your heads with me? And then we will we'll just read this through together. God, we're just thankful for the life and the breath that comes from you. Uh, we breathe because of you. This world turns because your hand upholds it. The hand of Christ, your word tells us. And yeah, we don't, we don't deserve anything that we have. Uh, we have sinned against you and all that you have done, God, is, is consistently and righteously loved us, cared for us. And uh, we thank you for your mercy that you've shown us. We thank you that you love us, that you've pursued us, and that you've saved us, you've brought us to this place, and you've revealed yourself to us in your word. And so we just ask for your Holy Spirit that you've given to live inside of us, which is absolutely amazing. We just illuminate these words that come from your heart. Help us to understand. Um, help us to be humble, Lord, and... Um, and to, to know that you're speaking to us, to each one of us, not to somebody else. And that we would take it to heart and that we'd be ready to be changed. Because your word is powerful. You've promised us that it's powerful and that it can change hearts and it can change lives. So we come eagerly expecting that, Lord. Most of all, may your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, be glorified this morning. In his name we pray. All God's people said, Amen. Amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness of faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, 
that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering, since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the word of the Lord. Amen. Um, so we're doing kind of a little series this month for four weeks on Paul's prayers. So we're going to look at four of Paul, the Apostle Paul's prayers. The Apostle Paul, for those that might not be familiar, he was an apostle who wrote some letters to some churches that he planted. And one of these letters would be first and, well, two of these letters would be first and second Thessalonians to a church called Thessalonica in a place called Thessalonica. Um, and so he usually opens his letters with kind of a thanksgiving and a prayer. And so we're going to look at that and say, what was on Paul's heart? I mean, I mean, how many people would consider Paul a man of God? A, a man to be, maybe to, to be inspired by and to maybe pattern your life after to some extent, for those of you that know Paul. I mean, I would consider him for sure. So I would want to know, man, how, is, how does Paul pray? When Paul sits down and, and, and writes out a prayer, what kind of things is he praying for? What what are some of the elements of those prayers? What are the context of those prayers? What is the content? So, so that's what we're going to do. So we're kicking off this morning, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. So I want to ask you a question before we get started. And um, feel free to uh, just shout, shout these things out. This is a conversation. What kind of things are you thankful for? So, so when you're thanking God, maybe you thanked Him this morning, maybe you thanked Him this week. When you're thanking God... I'm so thankful, grateful for this. What are some things? You can shout out specifics. You can shout out generalities. Family? Family? Okay. What's that? Health. Health? Yeah, yeah, good health. Okay. Shelter? Jesus. Lots of things to do. Oh, yeah, yeah. Good. Food. Good friends. Food and good friends go together. Salvation. Clean water. That's a good one. His word. Other Christians? Yes. Blessings. Any, any um, specifics that you're thankful for right now? A person or whatever in your life? 
Your son, okay. A new job? All right. I know Thanksgiving's over, guys, but sorry. We can thank God on other days, regular days, too. Okay, why do I ask that? Well, look how Paul starts this chapter. And first of all, here's Paul's prayer. It's in verse 11. So really, the actual prayer Paul gives is only two verses, 11 and 12. But he opens it by saying, to this end, we also pray for you. And then he gives his, his prayer, the points of his prayer. To this end, or, or another way of saying it would be in light of this, in light of what I've just said, in light of all these things. So what he's talking about is everything that's come before. He's talking about verses 3 through 10. So to understand Paul's prayer and why he's praying what he's praying and what he's really saying, we need to understand what comes before. Because he's saying, when I think about this, what I've just talked about in light of this, to this end, we pray for you. So here's what he says in verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, brothers and sisters, church in Thessalonica, as is right, because... Two things. Your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Here's what is something that's very interesting if you're looking at Paul's prayers, is that the things that he gives thanks for are usually not, in fact, I I need to research this even more thoroughly before I make a bold statement like this, but I don't know if he ever does give thanks for material things. So when you look at, when I look at my life, I'm in the boat with you guys. This, this wasn't a trick question. <laughs> when I look at my life, when I hear things that other people are thankful for, when I'm thinking about what I'm thankful for, I immediately talk about material things. All those things are good, so I want to just, you know, preface this with all those are good things to give thankful for. My kids, uh, my job, um, my health, my, you know, nice warm house to live in. All those types of things. Those are gifts from God, and we should give thanks for those. It should cause us to thank Him. But what I want to challenge us with this morning is, how often do we, like Paul, give thanks for, for things like someone's faith is growing abundantly? So, so honestly, when's the last time you thought, man, uh, my, fr- my friend at church or my wife, man, her faith is growing abundantly. I've just noticed that God is really working in her. And like she's, she's getting closer to Christ. I've just seen the faith. I've seen her maturing. And I, I just like, God, thank you so much for that. Or my kids, like, man, they're really, they're really getting, getting God lately. I really just see the fruit of Christ in their life. I'm just, man, thank you so much, God. These are the kind of things that Paul thanks, thanks God for all throughout his letters. It's always, it's, it's, it's never, man, I'm so glad and thankful that you guys have a nice warm place to meet in or that nothing bad's happening to you or, you know, on and on and on, that you guys got a new sound system for your worship team, you know, things like that. It's always like, even those things are good. We'd, I'd, I'd be thankful if we had a new sound system. I like ours, though. It's a good one. Um, or some new musical instruments. Or, I mean, you know. We'll always take those if you want to buy those for us. I mean, we'll never turn that down. Um, 
But anyway, but, but he's always like, man, look what God is doing in you. These things that are almost like intangible, like hard to see, you know, like, like love, like faith especially. Like, what is faith? Like, how do you, do you measure that? You can't really see it, you know? You have to be looking for it, right? So he says, I thank you that your faith, he, and he, look how he says this. We always give thanks to God for you as is right. Like, like, we have to give thanks to God. I mean, when we see this, we have to thank God. It's amazing that your faith is growing abundantly and your love for one another is increasing. Isn't that amazing? So that's what Paul thanks for. But then he goes on. He says this, Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God. So he says, basically what he's saying is, in all the other churches, He's away from them right now. He's writing them a letter. He's visiting other churches. He says, when I visit these churches, we, bo- we brag about you. We're just like, we tell people about what's going on at your church. What do we usually bra- brag about when we're talking about other churches? A lot of times it's like, man, they have like an awesome building or an awesome program. Or man, they really have like a sweet kids ministry over there. Or man, God's really doing amazing things over there. But a lot of times it's, it's uh, it, well, let's just be honest. God's doing amazing things because it's getting bigger, like more people are coming. So they must be doing something right. Correct? I mean, that's kind of how we tend to think. And sometimes that's true. You know, that's, people are coming to Christ. People are coming into the fellowship. God is probably working in a lot of instances. But those are the things we immediately go to. What is Paul bragging about? He says, we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness, and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Okay, now he's getting really specific. So what's happening to the church in Thessalonica is they're being persecuted. And we know generally during this time that there were some horrendous things going on. Uh, Christians, Christians, because of their faith, were being cut out economically in a lot of areas. Um, maybe, you know, disregarded by their families not taken care of in that sense. Uh, you know, things like being fed to the lions. Um, all kinds of horrendous things like that to even minor persecutions. All of these things. It was difficult to be a Christian during this time. It was very difficult in a lot of these areas. And so this church, we don't know exactly what it was, but they were facing persecutions. We know it had to be significant. Persecutions and afflictions. I mean, the word affliction, like that's just a hardcore word. You don't use that word unless it's hardcore afflictions, persecutions and afflictions you're facing, and you're being steadfast, and you're having faith, and now we can look back and see the context. Your love for one another is increasing. So, as persecutions are coming, as suffering is, is coming, as there's resistance, their faith is actually increasing, and their love for one another is getting stronger. Have you tend to notice how sometimes that happens? Even, even what we're facing right now as a church, one of the things that one of our families is going through, it's, it's one of the good things is it's brought us together. We're loving one another and we're praying. Sometimes that tends to do that. That's what Paul is thankful for here, that's their steadfastness and their faith. Steadfastness, like that's not a sexy word, right? Steadfast. <laughs> You know, like we like live in the fast lane, but it's not as sexy to live in the steadfast lane. You know, I'm just, steadfast is just like, I'm just, you know, people that just like play it safe on the highway. 
I'm just going to stay in the, this lane, go the speed limit. People can just go around me, you know? And they're, just, they're just steadfast. They're just trucking on. That's what it's like. No matter what happens, whether it's peaceful, whether there's trials coming, whatever it is, you just keep your eyes on the prize, and you just keep going. Getting hit, boom, get back on. That's just steadfastness. That's what he's thankful for. You're steadfast in your faith in the midst of all these things. So again, when's the last time? Well, what we tend to do is, is we look and we go, what do I brag about to other people about my kids? Let's just say, for instance, they're on the honor roll. That's, well, I don't because they're not on the honor roll, but maybe yours are. Uh, <laughs> I saw, uh, you may have seen this uh, cartoon. There's a cartoon where, uh, you know, people have bumper stickers. Like, my kid was on the honor roll at whatever school. Uh, there's these three camels, and two women are on them, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, is on one in the middle, and they have these stickers on the back of their camels. My kid was, like, in the honor roll at so-and-so, and her says, my kid is God. <laughs> like, yeah, beat that, top that. So, so what do I brag about my kids? Oh man, they're, they got into a really good school. They're doing really, you know, how's your, how's your son doing? Good. Got into a good school. He's, he's studying what he wants to study. Doing really well. Making a lot of friends. You know, just like, that tends to be the first thing that happens. And it tends to be the things that we think about. Like, here's what I'm, I'm thankful for. Here's what I want to tell people about, about my kids. What about, man, you know what? My, my, my kid is just loving Jesus. Like they're plugged into a really good church, and, and I don't know, they're just, there's this fruit. They're, do, they're doing, telling their friends about Christ, or they're leading people to Christ. You know, their faith is growing abundantly. They're just increasing in their love. I've just seen the love of Christ in my son. It's just been amazing. We tend to not do that. In fact, they could even be straying from Christ, but we'll overlook that as long as they're doing good in school, right? As long as they've done some of these material things. Or what about if, if something's gone wrong, maybe they're facing some type of horrible predicament. Maybe their health is bad. Like they're in, my son's in the hospital right now. It's horrible. Let's just pray, pray that this would end, right? Do you ever, wouldn't it just be wacky to hear someone say, how's your son doing? Oh man, they've been praying more than ever being in this situation. I've just seen like just seeing the, the faith, their faithfulness to Christ through this has just been amazing. I mean, how it, it would be a little different to hear that, wouldn't it? Just from, from regular common talk. That's kind of the equivalent of what Paul's saying here. Here's this church that he planted, and they're just getting reamed. And he says, man, he's bragging about them to everybody. <laughs> like, man, they're like steadfast. They're like being faithful to Christ. Their love is increasing in the midst of all of this. This is what, this is the context of what Paul is stoked about what he's thankful for. And so, to break it down, Paul is thankful for this church as they're being afflicted and persecuted, for their faith that's growing abundantly, and their love for one another that is increasing. And all of that is evidence, as you may have guessed, of the righteous judgment of God when Jesus will come in flaming fire and inflict vengeance on those who did not obey the gospel and they will suffer eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord. Are you guys with me? Does anyone find that a little odd? <laughs> Am I the only one? Their steadfastness and love is increasing in the midst of persecution. This is evidence that God is going to destroy people. 
in his divine judgment and vengeance. You're like, oh, I, just, I never really thought of that, but I guess maybe that makes sense, or does it? What's he talking about? Okay, this is crazy. So he says this in verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous, the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. Okay, here's, here's what's happening here. Paul's talking about something called the kingdom of God. And as you look a little bit farther on here, as we read earlier, he's talking about by the kingdom of God, what he means is the kingdom of God that's coming. So we're living in the kingdom of God. Jesus rules right now, but he's allowing bad things to happen. He's giving people a choice. I have paid the price for you on the cross for your sins. God has raised, sorry, I should have rephrased that. I, have, I didn't pay the price for you. I'm speaking as if I'm Jesus. Jesus paid the price on the cross for your sins so you can be forgiven. God raised him from the dead. You can put your faith in him and have life. You're forgiven. Live with God, both now and for eternity. Part of the family of God, all those amazing things. So, so that's happened. But there's also people who reject the gospel. They don't want anything to do with God. We still make a mess of this world. We still struggle with sin. Even though Jesus rules, he allows these things to happen. He rules because he holds it all together. We can't breathe without him. He could end it all tomorrow, but he doesn't. So in that sense, the kingdom has started. It's already, but it's not yet because there's a kingdom coming. It's a final kingdom. It's when all of a sudden you won't get to do bad things anymore. Bad things aren't going to happen. You don't get to sin anymore. Jesus is the ruler, and that is it. He will come down to this earth, the Bible tells us, and rule the world. And those who have trusted and believed him will live with him in perfect harmony forever. It's called heaven. That's the kingdom Paul is talking about here. And he says, all of this is happening to you, and because you're being faithful through it, because you're, 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 you're depending on God and you're being faithful to him and you're not losing heart, you're not just going off in a life of sin because of the pressure, because you're loving each other and it's increasing. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God because when is the righteous judgment of God going to come? The, the judgment that he's talking about here. It's not here yet, right? Unless, I don't know, have you seen God destroy anyone with fire lately? Have you seen just something wrong and injustice and God just takes care of it right there? Not very often. But when the kingdom of God comes in its fullness, there will be judgment. And he says, he's doing this that you may be considered worthy of this kingdom of God that is coming. So he's, the sense here, and we'll see it more explicitly later, is that God is making you worthy. The suffering is coming, and he is causing you by his grace to trust in him, to be faithful to him, and to love one another, and he's making you worthy of the kingdom of God to come. And then he says something we have to deal with right away because some of you might have a problem with this. And to, and to repay, this is the New Testament, to repay with affliction those who afflict you. That's righteous judgment, right? 
if you look on a little bit, a bit, little bit farther and jump ahead, to inflict vengeance on those who do not know God. That they will suffer eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. We have this picture of God. Now, I was talking to somebody about this this week, and they were like, that's a contradiction. Didn't God tell, Jesus tell us to turn the other cheek? Aren't we supposed to be merciful to people? Why is God inflicting vengeance on people? Here's the answer. Romans uh, chapter 12. Here's what it says. This is Paul. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. So people that are persecuting you, don't do the normal human reaction and get mad and try to seek vengeance. Bless them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Check this out. But leave, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to eat, to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Okay, here's what this, this verse is saying. God, Jesus, taught us to bless those who persecute us. So these Christians who are going through this, they're being persecuted, they're suffering. People are coming at them to try to apply pressure to them because they don't like that they're Christians. That's what's happening to these people. They're doing horrendous things to them. God wants us, in the midst of that, to love those people, to love them, to care for them, to give them, my enemy is down, give them a drink of water. But, God does have wrath, and God has righteous judgment and vengeance, and we can't forget this. I think we have this tendency to think that God was really mad in the Old Testament, right? You're reading the Old Testament? Man, God gets pissed sometimes. Would you guys agree with me? He gets angry, and he inflicts judgment right there. But then, in the New Testament, when Jesus died on the cross, he was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to calm down here. It's okay, everybody. <laughs> I'm not mad anymore. It's just going to be grace and mercy for everyone. Right? Sin is sin. doesn't matter if you killed someone or you did whatever. It, it's all okay. And some of us would even take it as far as saying everybody's going to be in heaven together someday. That's not correct. Just a cursory reading of the New Testament, these kind of passages are all over the place. It creates a problem when you have that theology because you have to explain it away. God hasn't changed at all. It's the same God of the Old Testament is the God today. The New Testament says to fear him, to have a healthy fear and respect. This is the God of the universe. Now, here's what has happened is we have sinned against God and we deserve judgment and punishment. We're going to take communion in a few minutes. There's bread represents the body of Jesus, the Son of God incarnate. 
the wine and juice represent his blood that was spilled. He died on a cross. He didn't deserve to be there. He died in my place where I deserved to be. God looked down and accepted that as payment for my sins. Raised Jesus from the dead. At great cost, the love, you see the love of God beyond human comprehension. That God would do that when, he, when I deserved it in my place. But you also see the judgment of God on the cross. I deserve to be there. God's judgment is supposed to be on me, but he put it on his son instead. And now we have an opportunity to accept, accept his invitation to know him by faith, to trust in Jesus for the cross. But guess what? If we don't accept that, it's not going to be pretty. Did you notice something in here? It says this in uh, verse, Jesus is going to come in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not what? Obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, but he will bring, bring relief to you And in verse 10, when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and the believers and to be marveled at among those who have believed because what? Our testimony, the gospel to you was believed. You notice something in there? What separates the people who are suffering eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and those who are enjoying God's presence forever? What separated the two according to this passage? whether they believed the gospel or not. That's pretty hardcore. You ever thought about that when you're sharing Christ with somebody? We're usually just kind of like, hey, would, do you want to believe this? And, no, oh, it's okay if you don't. You know, have you ever said, like, someone's like, you know what, I don't believe that crap. I don't want to believe it. Okay, you know. I just, I just want you to know things aren't going to go well for you, man. You know? Like, maybe that would, like, strike kind of a healthy balance and healthy fear. Like, how do you say that to someone? I'm not saying you just say it outright, but that is the reality, guys. And think about this. When's the last time you shared the gospel with someone? When's the last time you thought about trying to share the gospel with someone? When's the last time you prayed for someone who doesn't know Jesus? Maybe if we felt the weight of this, man, some of my family, some of my friends are not headed toward a pretty place. You know? Maybe I need to, like, be uncomfortable a little bit. I need to work toward trying to bring Christ to them through love and through my words and my deeds and and through the gospel, all those kind of things. This is the reality is that things are going to be made right. This life isn't the last word. Here's why I don't think that we understand this very well, and I don't either, is because we don't really know what suffering is a lot of times. Some of us do because of certain circumstances. Some of us really know what suffering is. A lot of us don't, but in a lot of societies and cultures, all believers know what suffering is. I think in this particular context, they all did. If you become a Christian, you're like, I'm signing up for suffering. Like, I'm signing up to get to stand with you guys where I'm getting persecuted. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, I have this app on my iPhone. If you have a smartphone, I know they have it for the iPhone. It's called uh, Pray Today is the app, but the voice of the martyrs, anybody heard of this? They highlight persecuted Christians all around the world and what's happening in these countries so we can be praying and supporting. Every day there's one. It highlights a country and what's happening in it. So today, I open it up January 6th, Afghanistan. Here's what it says about the country. Out of 76 people groups 
in the country of Afghanistan, 70 are unreached by the gospel. Category, restricted nation. So the gospel is restricted. They will not let you bring the gospel in. So you got to go covert, James Bond style. Here's the statistics. Muslim, 99.8%. Christian, 0.01%. And then it says this. Converting from Islam to any religion is a crime, and proselytizing is illegal. There are no formal churches in the country. It is believed that several hundred Afghans now follow Christ. Christians experience intense persecution from family members and neighbors. You guys know the history and the Taliban, the things that they do? Bringing innocent people out, women and children, and executing them in front of everybody? Is that wrong? It's very wrong. Now, how am I supposed to react when I see that happening, when I encounter those people? I'm supposed to genuinely, by the power of Christ, love them and forgive them. If they kill someone in my family, I am supposed to find the strength in Christ to forgive them. And that's powerful testimony because every one of those people in the Taliban, God is extending salvation to them. They have an opportunity to repent of their sins and to be saved, and they will be saved. And they will be in heaven no matter what you've done. But if they don't, all of those horrendous crimes throughout history that have happened, unspeakable things, you think God's going to make that right someday? Or are you just letting it all go? Does that feel, would that feel wrong to anybody? They would just sweep that under the, under the rug. Just asking, like, you'll seize our common sense now. We put on our, like, funky, weird Christian helmets sometimes, you know? Like, we think weirdly about things because we're Christians. <laughs> you notice that? We, like, here's my common sense. I'll check this in at the door when I come in, you know? Like, people in the world see this stuff who aren't Christians, and they're like, that's messed up. You know what I mean? Isn't it? There's things that are, pardon my French, but effed up in this world. Seriously effed up. And they're like, that's messed up. If there's a God in heaven, I hope he's doing something about that. But we get all these wacky, weird theologies, and then we like actually look at that and go, oh, maybe God should just sweep it under the rug. This is what this is talking about. God is going to do something. That is not the last word. And once the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God that we're talking about is coming and rights will be made right, and wrongs will be paid for. It's going to happen, you guys. That's what the Bible teaches. Here's, here's the prayer point for this country of Afghanistan on my app. Pray that the new believers in the Islamic nation will boldly share the love of Christ. That's what I'm supposed to pray for. I think it's hard for us because I would look at that and go, man, let's pray that the persecution stops. Let's pray that the, you know, those Taliban lay down their arms and it's nice and peaceful for them. No. Let's pray that they share Christ boldly where they can die for it. Isn't this it's kind of a foreign concept to us? Because we live in such a peaceable place. We don't understand suffering. Anybody seen the movie Les Miserables yet? The new one? Do you like it? Oh my gosh. an amazing movie. I cried. Just telling you. I'm not ashamed to say it, man. There were tears falling from my eyes. <laughs> and my wife was too. She had more tears than me, just so you know. But. <laughs> that was some powerful stuff. Um, that's, and that's my favorite book 
and my favorite story and everything. And so that could be part of it, but it was powerful, emotional. But one of the, the underlying themes, I mean, what's the title? Les Miserables, The Miserable. It's, it's this just seeing like injustice happening to people. It's, it's like the reality of the world sometimes. Like that actually happened to people. They just got the raw end of the deal. Horrible stuff happened. Men did horrible things to them and they die. Right? That's the whole movie. Jean Valjean, the star, even him. Just you look at his life, you're just like, man, dude. And then he dies at the end alone, you know? I guess he did have his daughter and his son-in-law with him, but what's that? Yeah, sorry. Oh, you guys, you guys know the story, Lamez Rob, don't you? Come on. Then they all win in the end and live happily ever after. It's so amazing. Oh, but here's the deal. I have to say this because it's sermon illustration and I don't have anything else, so. Um, here's the deal, though. One of the things you see in this is just amazing because you see all the suffering, but then at the end you see it made right. They enter into heaven. John, while John's sitting there and Fantine, the one who the horrendous stuff happened to, I mean, just crazy, is walking up to him. Come on, joyfully we're entering into heaven. And he walks through the gates and... You see the city, but it's all the people who have died, all of these people that suffered injustice, the poor, and they're celebrating, hanging out, having an amazing time. And my wife, who's a dental assistant, noticed that, because they do a really good job with the makeup and their teeth are kind of jacked up, you know, the poor and everything. Well, apparently, when they all walked into the heaven, their teeth were nice and white and straight. I didn't notice that. She's like, did you notice that their teeth were white and straight? I'm like, no, I didn't. That's cool. She notices teeth, so just so you know, just a heads up. She, I never do. I'm just like, I didn't. Like, Did you see their teeth? I, I know. I didn't. Um, so, but I think it's just difficult for us to grasp. But you know what? At the end of the day, Satan wants to take you out of the kingdom. He wants to, God wants you to grow in your faith abundantly to love your brothers and sisters, and to lead other people to know him. Satan, the enemy, doesn't want that to happen. And so that's his goal. Now, he just doesn't want to make you feel pain just for the fun of it. I'm sure he enjoys it when you do. But if he can stop your growth in Christ, if he can stop the gospel from spreading, for some of us, it might take a little bit of pressure. I succeeded. Sometimes it takes feeding you to the lions. So, I don't want to downplay the fact that life is hard and we all face persecution in in many different forms. But I think it's difficult for us to grasp because we don't face this type of intense persecution. So what he's saying is all of these things will be made right. You will be counted. You are being made worthy of the kingdom of God because you are enduring and being steadfast through this suffering. And Jesus, it's it's like they're in the midst of suffering. He's saying, hold on. Jesus is coming. Keep loving these people that are persecuting you. Keep living for Christ. He will give you the grace to do it. But this isn't the end. This isn't the last word. He's going to come and things are going to be made right. And you're going to be granted relief. It's not just that those who afflicted you will be afflicted. The justice and the righteousness. But you will be comforted because you've been faithful to Christ. Isn't that beautiful? That's what he's telling them. And then he ends it like this. Verse 10, 
Jesus comes when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled out among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. And then he says this, to this end, we always pray. So now we're coming to the prayer. So this is the context surrounding Paul's prayer. As he's saying, all the stuff that we just talked about, the suffering that you're enduring, and all the persecution that's coming, and the kingdom of God that's coming and is going to make things right, in, all, in light of all of that, to this end then, we pray. And here's his prayer. That our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's break that down really quickly. He's asking basically two things as he's saying. The first is very important. He's praying. He's saying, I'm praying for you in light of all of this, that our God may make you worthy. Notice that? That God will make you worthy of his calling. This is even kind of foreign language to us. When's the last time you prayed for someone that God would make them worthy of their calling? It's interesting, isn't it? Way to think about it. God, make... Make, make my son worthy of your calling on his life. What is a calling? A calling is what God has called you to. He said, come and follow me. Be my disciple. Be a part of my family. Love your brothers and sisters and love the people around you and tell them about me and what I've done for them. He's calling you into that kind of a life. That's the central, central role. That's what Paul cares about. That's what Jesus cared about. He's saying, I'm praying that God will make you worthy, that God will continue for your faith to grow abundantly and for your love for one another to grow, and that you would be bold in sharing Christ. And then he says, and second thing, that he may fulfill, that God may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. So that he's saying, by God's power that he will look down and every resolve for good, that's saying something that I already have. It's been given to me by God. I, I want to see things happen. We all, have, we all have that. We all should have that if we're believers and we're following Christ. Neighbors that I see around me that need Jesus, broken people around me that need Jesus. My family members that need Jesus, injustice, things that are happening around us that need to be made right. That's a resolve in me. Like, I, wanna, I want that good to happen. And he's saying... By God's power, I pray that by his power that he would cause all of those things to, to be fulfilled. That means to happen. Isn't that awesome? That, like, that we can pray and that Paul prays for all the things that we dream about as Red Sea to happen in, in St. John's in Spain, in Rwanda, and all these places. All these things that we dream about. Man, God, if you could do this, this is what I want to see happen in your name. We can pray that by God's power, those things would come to fulfillment. It's beautiful, and God will do that. He will work, and he will answer those prayers. And every work of faith by his power. 
every work of faith. So when you're going out and doing the work, it's not enough to just pray, right? God, just bless all the children of the world <laughs> and feed them. Amen. And I go to bed in my nice warm bed, you know. Like, the work of faith, okay, now what am I going to do now to begin making steps forward to, to, to work at this? He's saying, may God bring that to fulfillment. May your work of faith be made manifest. May that person come to know Christ. May that person find, experience the love of Christ through you and actually be restored, find restoration. Isn't that amazing? These are the things we're supposed to be dreaming about. Paul's dreaming about that for this church. Think about that for people close to you. Start thinking about people that you would desire a prayer like this for. Think about Christians, because that's who he's talking to. Maybe your spouse, your kids, family member, someone, a friend, a leader in your life. Who are some people that you love to see these things? You'd love to be able to offer this prayer on their behalf. Start thinking about that. Think about yourself. God, I, I want this for my own life. And I love how he ends this. So that the name of our Lord Jesus be glorified in you. So when we're living this way, Jesus, people see Jesus, right? That's what we're shooting for. But then he says, and you in him. What's that all about? That you'd be glorified in him too. Do you guys know it sounds odd to us, but the Bible teaches that we're being transformed to the image of Christ from one degree of glory to another. As we begin to live and as we, we love people and we draw close to Christ and we walk with him, we're being transformed. We're being glorified. We're being made more like Jesus in this life. And guess what? It's not so that we can walk around and be like, look how glorified I got this week. <laughs> I look more like Jesus, don't I? Not just because I have long hair and a beard, you know? That's not what it's about. It's so that people can look and go, man, I, I'm seeing Jesus in you, and I, I'm getting, I, I'm experiencing Jesus through your life. It's for other people's benefit. And at the end of the day, it comes right back around that he's glorified. That's what it's all about. And then he ends it by saying, and according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. That sums it up. It's all the grace of God. It's his grace that started it all by giving his son on the cross. We're going to celebrate that right now. By redeeming us by his blood, making us a people, bringing us together. And it's his work, his power that's going to work through us and his grace to do this. But we have to resolve for good and we have to work our faith out. And prayer is the key. This, this week, these four weeks, we're focusing on prayer. Because we need to pray, you guys. When we, when we don't pray, we're just, and please know that I struggle with this myself. I'm not standing up here as I got prayer down. I pray all the time. And you heathens need to step it up a notch, okay? That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, it's just, you're just saying, God, I, I need you. I need you to do this. Like, I want you to do it. I don't want to do, run off into the world. And, okay, I'm going to go save the world. I'll be back. You're gonna, they're going to be dragging you back in bloody and beaten, you know? Like, God's got to do it through us. Um, my wife and I were just praying yesterday, and it's hard because you just have to, like, force yourself to do it, you know? Like, we should pray right now. Our, our kids aren't here. We can actually focus, <laughs> you know? But everything in me is just kind of, we're like, we're like putting it off and talking about other things and let's, let's read some flowery verses and it's, you're just kind of like, eh, well, how, 
Finally, she's like, let's just pray. So we just, it was just simple, you know? It was like, you kind of feel like you're just telling God things he already knows. And, but, you know, you start feeling like, I'm, I'm communing with God here as it goes on. And I just remember this feeling of like, you know, and when we were done, I was like, man, that was easy. <laughs> it wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. It's just like you're just talking to God. You're just like, God, I, okay, I know you're there. It's just about you, about you working. I think that God honors that, and it begins to move in us and through us. So we need to do that individually and together as a church. We need to be on that journey. Um, so here's what I'd like to, to do as we prepare for worship. Um, I have a verse up here. I took the verse, and I put blanks in where it says you. So look at this just for a minute. And I want you to think about, firstly, as we begin, just think about someone, just one person, who you care deeply about, who's a believer in Christ. And then we're going to just take a few moments to just silently just put this into practice and just pray Paul's prayer over that person. To this end, I pray for that you, God, may, may make blank worthy of your calling and fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by your power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in this person and this person in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And when you pray this, think about what we just talked about and studied. Think about what those phrases mean. Don't they kind of seem general to us sometimes? Like, yada, yada, have a lot of faith, blah, blah, blah. You know, like this terminology. Just There's weight to those words. Think about that. You're praying that with, your, with all your heart, specifically for that person. You're saying, God, I know that you can touch this person even right now, and your spirit can rise up within them, and you can give them this, and this is what I want for this person. So let's take a moment. We're going to get set up up here, and... We're going to take communion in a few minutes as we begin to sing it. It's available. Um, there's bread on both sides, and there's juice. This represents the body of Christ broken for us on the cross for each one of us and his blood that was spilled so that we can be redeemed and have life. Let's be thinking about what he's done for us, be filled with gratefulness, and to know that he's called us to be Jesus, to bring his light to the world. So would you just... However, whatever helps you focus to pray. If you want to close your eyes, that can be helpful. We're going to have like a little bit of extended silence here for you just to work this out and to pray. I encourage you to really take it seriously and to do it. And let's just just cry out to God for that person. Maybe you want to bow down. Maybe you want to get on your knees. I don't know. We're going to get set up. And then after we do that, I'm going to say a prayer and we're going to put Red Sea in there. Thank you for listening to this message from Red Sea Church. If you would like more information about Red Sea, including more audio messages, please go to our website at www.redseachurch.org. If you would like to contact Red Sea, you can email us at info at